we are ready to go. Well, thank you guys for joining us again for Bible study. And it is with some realities of a precarious time in which we live. No question about it. There is an, an unsettling of the society taking place, which is clearly a fulfillment of Bible prophecy. And it is time for us as a people to make sure that we are anchored, anchored in the right place, anchored in the word of God, not in our emotions. We got to be careful of being triggered. <laughs> um, but any trigger that comes into our experience that causes us trauma or distress should lead us quickly to the opening of the scriptures, quickly to the word of God. So tonight we're going to study. We're going to stay on the main thing. And believe it or not, the things that we are studying are actually a solution, the solution to all the problems that are present in our world today. So I want to make sure as God's people, if we're going to be making it through the final crisis, if we're going to make it navigating our way through the issues that are present in our world, we must be anchored. And that's why I'm so excited about this prophecy, because this prophecy that we're going to study tonight, that we're going to delve into, and we're going to take our time going through it. This prophecy is so important. You know, I've, in my experience before, no one really took the time to really walk me through what I'm going to walk with you. Uh, it's in the word of God. It's independent of inspiration. It's just a matter of taking time to just walk it through and seeing the cause and the effects of of what's happening in the text. So we're going to we're going to delve right in. And before we begin, because I'm not smart enough or intelligent enough to communicate the realities of the gospel to you. And I need help just like you. I'm going to ask if you don't mind, if you would pray with me, pray for yourselves and pray for me that we will properly understand the scriptures, apply the truths of the gospel to our hearts and allow the sanctifying influence of the word to work in us. What we of our natural selves cannot work. And so I would encourage you in this in this regard. So as we begin, let's bow our heads for prayer. Our Father in heaven, we want to thank you for your love and mercy. We want to thank you, Father, for not giving us what your dear son deserves. I mean, for not giving us what we deserve, but for giving us what your dear son does deserve. And Lord, the breath that we breathe, this, this breath of life, this opportunity to live for you, uh, we ask, Lord, that you help us to take advantage of every moment that you've provided for us. Lord, as we're about to open the Bibles up, we ask for the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is the only effectual teacher of truth. We pray this in the name of Jesus and claim the merits of his holy and most precious blood. Amen. Amen. Now, hopefully you have brought your Bibles as we are accustomed to do here in our study session together. And as we're studying tonight, please, you know, let the spirit lead your mind, because there are many themes that we have covered all the way up now to Daniel chapter nine. Uh, that are applicable. And if you've been paying attention to the word of God, you can see some of the principles and the necessity of applying these principles in our day. Uh, so we're going to review and continue with some of the other points that we have made in our previous study. And I want to make sure I pull it up here and share them with you. 
Um, let's see here. I want to go here. And I want to share my screen. Let me share my screen. I want to share screen number two. You're going to see my beautiful bride. Um, and I'm going to share the study component with you here. So the last time we talked, we, we were dealing with what we call a chiastic structure or a um, a outline of the book of Daniel in simple words, meaning these are not the com complete composite of all the things that are to be understood, but there are parallels in the chapters and there are themes within each of the chapters. And again, as you're studying, you'll probably find different themes that you can hang on to, but these are some ones that I have found through studying and not just of my own self, but reading other books and things that are simple themes that can be applied. So we're looking at prophetic parallels. So in Daniel 1, Daniel decides that he does not want to defile himself. Daniel and Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, they, they see themselves and their bodies as body temples. And they don't want to defile themselves with the king's meat or with his drink, because at the end of the day, the reason why they were taken into captivity was because of the violation of the things that were transpiring in the kingdom of Judah and the defilement of the temple that was there. And in Daniel 1, it was written in, a, in the Hebrew tongue. And Daniel 8 through 12 was also written in the Hebrew, in the Hebrew tongue. And you'll notice I used the word defilement to describe chapters 8 through 12, the rise and fall of these kingdoms. There's a principle, and we're going to share that principle in a moment. But there's a principle of why there is a rise and fall of kingdoms and God's ultimate goal in delivering Israel from the bondage and oppression that they were under. And we find that through Daniel 8 through 12, both Daniel 1 and Daniel 8 through 12 are written in the Hebrew language. And Daniel 2 is the succession of kingdoms, right? We have the head of gold, chest and arms of silver, belly and thighs of brass, legs of iron, feet of part of iron and part of clay. And then the rock cut out without hands strikes the image at the feet. The rock grows into a great mountain. You need to go back and listen to that study uh, because it was quite revealing. It grows into a great mountain and the whole earth is filled with this rock, which is ultimately the kingdom of God. So we saw a succession of kingdoms of Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, uh, the union of church and state via papal Rome, and going all the way down to our day, the succession of these powerful kingdoms, each having its time to rule, each having the opportunity to fulfill God's will. And we're in our time now. You'll notice Daniel 7, we have the lion with two wings like an eagle. He's made to stand up on his hinder parts and a man's heart is given unto the lion. And that which was once a vicious creature <laughs> now becomes more docile. Uh, we have the bear raised up on one side, three ribs in his mouth, which was the kingdom of Medo-Persia. And the Medes were the smaller kingdom and the Persians were the larger kingdom. So they're raised up on one side. And the three ribs in the mouth indicates the, the conquered nations, notably in history. The three major ones, uh, Lydia, Egypt, and Babylon, were the kingdoms that Medo-Persia conquered in order to have dominion. So those were those succession of kingdoms. In Daniel 7, you also have the lion, the bear, the leopard with four heads, with four wings. 
And then you have the dreadful and terrible beast that has these ten horns and a little horn that comes up, plucks up three by the very roots. And the little horn that comes up has eyes like the eyes of a man. He speaks blasphemy. And ultimately, we see the judgment sits. The books are open and judgment is ultimately given in favor of the saints of God and the saints saints take the kingdom. And we went through a whole study on Daniel seven. So you want to go back and look at that. And it's interesting, each one of these chapters that we've gone over, I know that we've studied them, but there are many, many, many more principles and ideas and details that can be brought out for each one. But it's incumbent upon us to be diligent Bereans of ourselves. So I can't give everything, but I'm giving uh, a framework so that you can go back and study for yourself. Daniel 3 is about worship. In Daniel 3, they made the, the king made a golden image, all of gold, completely of gold trying to actually buck his, his the vision that God gave him to tell him his kingdom would not last forever that it would be limited and the king is like nah man I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to do this forever and so he makes an image and there's a challenge of worship and the three Hebrews uh Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah decide not to bow down and they are thrown in the fiery furnace and they are not burnt and there's a fourth that walks in that furnace with them. I mean, each of these stories is so powerful because at the end of the day, God walks with his children, right? At the end of the day, God is with his children in the midst of a fiery burning furnace. And there are those injustices that are constantly throughout the experience of the people of God. God ultimately shows himself as the deliverer for his people. And then we have Daniel 6. Daniel 6. Uh, Daniel is now transferred from Babylon. Now he's a ruler in Medo Persia. He is the second in command. He's the top in command of all the presidents, only second to the king himself. And they cannot find anything against Daniel. Like he never cheated on his taxes. He didn't have an extra wife or girlfriends, or he wasn't doing anything that he wasn't supposed to do. So the only thing that they find against Daniel was the law against his God. So they made a law that they could that the king and they they sweet talked the king. You know they buttered him up. Oh king, you you are so great and awesome. Let's make a law that no one worship any other god but you for thirty days. And the king got so caught up in his own pride that he fell for the trick, and his friend got thrown in the lion's den because of that. And this is a beautiful story. Everybody knows it. God delivers Daniel from the lion's mouth. I remember being a child and singing that song in Sabbath school and my God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth. And I, in your sanctified imagination as a child, you're just thinking, what a mighty God we serve. Now as older, we get older, we read the story like, yeah, God shut the lion's mouth. <laughs> no, man, God shut the lion's mouth. Didn't touch Daniel in a, in a negative way at all. And Daniel could sleep through the night. Oh, if the people of God would have such a close union with, with him that whether they be in the furnace or whether they be in the lion's den, they are trusting in their God. We're going to need that experience. And then in Daniel 4, pride. What's, what's, what's happening in Daniel 4? The king is looking over his kingdom. Is this not great Babylon which I have built? And God had given him a vision about a tree and and Daniel had come in and explained the vision, and king didn't take heed, and pride came upon him. And mind you, just, just as a reminder, simple fact, Daniel 4 was written by Nebuchadnezzar himself. Daniel 4 
is a uh, type, if you will, of the first angel's message where the king is giving glory to God and saying that there is no other God to worship ultimately at the end of Daniel 4. But before that, he's full of pride and God had to put him on a, a grass diet to get him all cleaned out. Right. In Daniel chapter five, we have the handwriting on the wall. The grandson of Nebuchadnezzar has a party. He is second in command because his father, Nebuchadnezzar, is out there doing fighting and whatnot. He's back home, decides to have a party. He feels that they are impregnable, that there is no kingdom that could come against them. And when they had the party, they knew that the Medes and Persians were surrounding Babylon. And they figured, hey, let's, let's just do it up. Let's do what we do. And while they were having that party, the bloodless hand came and wrote, Mene, mene, tekel you farsin. Thou weighed in the balances. Your kingdom is divided. You have been found wanting. And that decree that came down from the Most High, only one man knew what it meant. <laughs> and he was not invited to the party. And I think to a certain degree, brothers and sisters, we got to get used to not being invited to some of these parties, quote unquote. We're not always going to be popular with everyone. That's not the intent of faithfulness to God. Faithfulness to God is to be a light in a dark place. Not everyone's going to understand. The unsettled state of society today needs more Daniels. Too many of us are mimicking the temperature of the world and not being in a position to affect or, or effect in a way that changes society and what's going on. We're reacting. We react to COVID. We react to the, the spirit of what's transpiring in the world and not really dealing with the heart of what the issues are. We have a lot to do as a people to come back to being the people of the book and not reactionary to the conditions of this world. For we have been told beforehand all that is to take place in our, in our world. So before I keep going, I want to make sure that everybody's following so far. The, that, that premise, that, that chiastic structure is designed for us to kind of just get a general understanding of how the book lays out. As we're adding the details, they fall in their proper place. They have their right categories. And so tonight, I'm going to review step one, step two. Hopefully, we get to step like five or six tonight. There are 11 steps to fully understanding the time prophecy in Daniel chapter nine. There are 11 steps. So we're going to work through each one of the steps. And by God's grace, it will be simple enough. That I mean, it doesn't have to be simple. Sometimes things need to be hard so we can lift some weights, right? So we can get strong in the word of God. But hopefully it makes sense and it's clear so that we can apply the truths to our experience. So let me go back to the screen here and uh, share that with you. So let's go. Let's 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 continue our study. OK, here we go. It looks like there might be a, before I go, is there, it looks like there might be a question. All right. Praise God. Sister Priscilla, it's good to see you. All right. So here it is. Step number one. Does anyone remember what step number one is? I mean, I, we did it real quick at the end, so you may not remember it. But step number one, go to Daniel chapter two. Let's read. 
Daniel chapter 2, and we're looking at verse 20. And I, you know what? I really enjoy studying with you guys because I don't feel like I have to rush. You know, sometimes when you're invited to preach in churches or whatnot, this there seems to be this, this issue of everyone wants to rush. They want to get out of there. There's something to do. Um, you feel a time constraint. But because I'm at home in my studio... <laughs> I get to uh, I get to move at a pace that I believe is beneficial, not just for yourselves, but for myself as well, so that the word can find its settling place. In Daniel chapter 2, and we're looking at verse 20, the Bible says, Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his, and he changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. He revealeth the deep and secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness, and the light dwelleth with him. I thank thee and praise thee, O thou God of my fathers, who hast given me wisdom and might, and hast made known unto me now what we desired of thee, for thou hast made, for thou hast now made known unto us the king's matter. Now, in this passage of scripture, we find an idea and a principle that if we understand it, we will better understand the entirety of the book of Daniel, and yea, I would even say the entirety of the book of the Bible, but particularly the book of Daniel. This passage, Daniel chapter 2, verses 20 to 23, is the hinge to understanding the whole book. He sets up kings and he takes them down. He is in charge. So the broader context of the book of Daniel is that God is in charge. The broader context is that God is in control. If you can understand that, the whole book of Daniel, break it down, you, you bring it down to a smallest point, God is in control. He sets up kings and he takes them down, okay? That's the broader point, the broader context. Step number one, Understand the broader context. The broader context is God is ultimately in control. Now, my friends, does, isn't that relevant for our day? Because there are people that feel that they must do something outside of God's plan in order to bring justice. I mean, that's that's literally what's transpiring. We need to work within God's plan and need to understand what God's plan is in order to bring justice and righteousness into this world. But we can't do it of our natural selves. It's impossible. I promise you, there's only one God, and he is the one that has the ultimate plan that will deal with this, these issues that are present in our world. And there are many, many issues that we must deal with. Step number two. Are there any questions for step number one? If you have a question for step number one, just type it in real quick. If you have a question for step number one, Type it in real quick. If not, we're going to move to step number two. Step number two. Go with me to Daniel chapter seven. 
Daniel chapter 7. And this is a review, okay? Daniel chapter 7, we're looking at verse number 28, okay? Remembering that in Daniel chapter 7, this is a review, Daniel sees the lion, the bear, the leopard, and then he sees the dreadful and terrible beast, and he has no questions about beast number one, beast number two, or beast number three. His main question is with beast number four. And if before I read verse 28, I want you to again see verse number 19. Okay? Verse number 19. This is this is Daniel having listened to the angel explain the essence of what the prophecy is about in verse 17 and 18. Then verse 19, he says, Then I would know the truth of the fourth beast, which was diverse from all the others. Exceeding dreadful, whose teeth were of iron, and his nails of brass, which devoured, breaking pieces, and stamped the residue with his feet. And the ten horns that were in his head, and of the, uh, and of the other which came up, and before whom three fell, even of that horn that had eyes, and a mouth that spake very great things whose look was more stout than his fellows, okay? I beheld, and the same horn made war with the saints, and what does it say? And prevailed against them. That's what it says, okay? Until, which is one of my favorite words in all the scripture, the word until, until what? Until the Ancient of Days came, and the judgment was given to the saints of the Most High, and the time came that the saints possess the kingdom. Thus, he said, this is the angel speaking, the fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon the earth, which shall be diverse from all the, all the kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, and shall tread it down and break it in pieces. And the ten horns out of this kingdom are the ten kings that shall arise. And another shall arise after them. And he shall be diverse from the first. He shall subdue three kings. And he shall speak great words against the Most High. And shall wear out the saints of the Most High. And think to change times and laws. And they shall be given into his hand. Notice. Until a time and times and the dividing of times now uh, this is the first time a time another time outside of the 70 weeks has been mentioned in daniel's experience because we talked about this already this time times have a time 1260 days i.e uh, 1260 years so he's concerned at the end of the chapter verse number 28 says hitherto is the end of the matter as for me daniel my cogitations, what are his cogitations, his thoughts? My cogitations much troubled me, and my countenance changed in me, but I kept the matter where? In my heart. So his thoughts are troubling him. Why? God's people are being persecuted by this fourth beast and these kings that are coming out of the head of this beast, and they are prosecuted and persecuted for what he's beginning to understand as a longer length of time than the 70 years that he thought they were going to be in captivity. Okay. Then you go to chapter eight. 
Daniel chapter 8. And in Daniel 8, we went through this whole thing already, so I don't want to go here too long. But then he gets down here, and I want to read verse number 13 and 14. And when folks have read this before, they've missed it. Even people in my own church. Okay? Because the, the context dictates interpretation. Okay? And there's much to go over again here. But go back and listen to our Daniel 8 study and come back to this. Okay? But right now, I'm going to try to make it as simple as possible. In verse number 13. Now, 13... Gabriel has gone through and identified several powers, okay? A ram, a he-goat, a horn, uh, that goes all the way down to the end of time. 13 says something interesting. Then I heard one saint speaking, and another saint said unto that certain saint which spake, How long shall be the vision concerning the daily? and the transgression of desolation to give both both means two things right both the sanctuary and the host to be trodden underfoot notice the question notice the question okay the question again how long shall be the vision concerning the daily and the transgression of desolation to give both the sanctuary and the host to be trodden underfoot. Okay, the sanctuary, that's a good thing, right? That sanctuary is, a, is where God is supposed to dwell. The sanctuary is going to be trodden underfoot and the hosts, who are the hosts? We're talking about the people of God. How long are the people of God how long are this, is the sanctuary supposed to be trodden underfoot? This is the same concern that we found in Daniel 7, where this little horn makes war against the saints and prevails. Okay? Very good. Stay with me. So, the answer in verse 14. How long? Here's the answer. And he said unto me, unto 2,300 days... Then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. Under 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. I'm going to give you a little side note. Keep it on, put it on the side, but it's something to observe. You'll notice the question asked, how long shall the sanctuary and the host be trodden underfoot? Do you realize that there's only one answer? Under 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. It didn't say anything about the host. Okay, just make that little side note because we're going to come back to that in another study. So he says, under 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. Or another word for it in the original is like restored or built back up, put back in its proper place. How long shall it be until this happens? And he says unto me, under 2,300 days, a day in Bible prophecy equals a year. So uh, I mean, 2,300 days, 2,300 years. But wait, Daniel 7 said 1,260 years. But Jeremiah the prophet said 70 years. Which one is it? This is causing concern for Daniel. You'll notice his, after the angel clearly identifies much of everything else in the chapter, we get down to the end in verse 26, the Bible says, 
and the vision of the evening and the morning which was told is true. Wherefore, shut up the vision. We talked about the word morah and all that the other time, right? Shut up the vision, for it shall be for, what's it say? Many days. Now it's referencing back to 2300 days. It's going to be for many days. And I, Daniel, fainted and was sick certain days. So my man hears the declaration from the angel explaining, Gabriel is explaining, and boom, my man drops drops out. He's like, yo, this is too much. Because in his mind, 70 years. Then he hears 1,260. Then he hears 2,300. It's overwhelming for him, and he falls out. So that's where we pick up in chapter 9. And in chapter 9, verses 2 through 19, my man goes in. And he says this wonderful prayer. We studied that prayer. Go back and read it. Go back and study. Go back and listen to the podcast. But we, he goes through that prayer, and he identifies. And watch. I'm going to show you. I'm just going to point it out. Okay? Verse 5. Because he talks about the covenant of God. Verse 5 says, we have sinned. Committed iniquity. Done wickedly. Rebelled. Departed from judgments. Not hearkened to the prophets. Verse 7. We trespass and trespass against thee. It goes on and talks in, a, in the passage that I really love about this. And you guys, you know, maybe you, you can see it similarly. I love when Daniel says righteousness belongs to thee. It, it is yours. I mean, he's not claiming anything good from himself. He's not saying he's better than anybody else. Righteousness belongs to thee. Oh, if we could remember that. It would help us to understand how to deal with the issues of humanity and not get caught up in some of this foolishness that's going on. He goes on in verse 11. Yea, all Israel has transgressed. This is in chapter 9. So he's going on. He's identifying the issue. Sin, transgression, rebellion, wickedness, transgressing the judgments. He is identifying the issue. I know that we have violated your law. I know that we have violated our covenant relationship with you. I know that that is why we are in captivity. But please, Father, let's not make it more than 70 years. Because now he's coming to the end of the 70 years. He knows that the people of God are supposed to be released to go back and rebuild Jerusalem. So he's saying, please, let's not make it longer than it has to be. I want you to notice something. And again, this is just us being good Bible students. You'll notice that Daniel and his people are in captivity. But Daniel does not blame his captors for the condition that they're in. I'm going to let that rest for a second. Daniel does not blame the captors. He does not blame the oppressors, even though the oppressors are going to be dealt with. Like if you, in fact, hold your hand right here in Daniel. Let me show you something. Go to Jeremiah chapter 25. Watch this. Daniel never, Daniel never blames the oppressor, though the oppressor, there's a role that they play. There's a, there's a limit. Right. There's a there's a place for it. But then Jeremiah 25. Watch this. I'm going to read verse nine to you. Just an, an observation. OK. Jeremiah 25 verse nine says, behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, say of the Lord. And Nebuchadnezzar, the son of ba the king of Babylon, my servant. 
God cast the pagan king his servant, and will bring them against this land and against the inhabitants thereof and against all these nations round about, and will utterly destroy them and make them an astonishment and an hissing and perpetual desolations. Moreover, I will take them from the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom, the voice of the bride, the sound of the millstone and the light of the candle. And this whole land shall be a, what's it say? A desolation and an astonishment. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon how long? Seventy years. That's what it says in Jeremiah. And it shall come to pass when the seventy years are accomplished. Now watch what it says. That I will punish. That's interesting. I thought this was God's servant. Now he's going to punish? That I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, saith the Lord. Why? for their iniquity and the land of the Chaldeans and will make it perpetual what? Desolations. So watch what I'm going to say and, and pay attention to the nuance. Daniel is in captivity, but Daniel doesn't blame his oppressors for their captivity, though the captivity was allowed by God. However, at the end of the time frame, God is now going to punish his the captors because the captors have not done right by the cap by those who were captive. Did that make any sense? In other words, God's going to deal with the oppressor. The issue is while we are oppressed, what lessons are we supposed to be learning? How can we gain victory? How can we be free indeed? And Daniel is taking the axe and he's hitting it at the root. He's not dealing with superfluous things. He's dealing with the heart of the matter. What is the heart of the issue of whatever the transgressions may be, whether they be racism, right? Racism is a form and adaptation of sin in one space. Whether they be financial oppression, which is a form of the same sin problem in a different way. Whether it's parents beating their children or whether it's husbands and wives fighting or whether it's whatever grievous sin that you can think of trafficking of young girls and young boys in the United States and around the world. You know, all, all these are a result of sin. And if you only try to deal with one of these issues, I promise you it's just going to pop up in a different place in a different way. Daniel takes the axe and he hits it at the root and he says, sin is the problem. Let me share my screen with you now. Sin is the problem. So here's the, here's the broader context. What is Daniel's concern? Step number two, you need to understand Daniel's concern. What is Daniel's concern? Daniel's concern is the sin problem. Sin problem. That's his concern. That's what's bothering him. That's what's provoking his thoughts. That's what's making him faint. He sees that the sin problem is what's causing his people to be in captivity. If we want to come out of captivity, if we want God to be with us, if we want God to be the king of our lives, we must serve him as our master and not sin. So that, that's Daniel's concern, right? And we know that Gabriel comes through, <laughs> tells him, brother, you are greatly beloved. I have been sent forth to help you understand these prophetic understandings, right? So, step number three. 
we need to understand 70 weeks determined upon thy people and city. So that's step number three. What is, what? Because we're dealing with the most pivotal prophecy. Tonight, we're dealing with the most pivotal prophecy. So step number three is understand 70 weeks determined upon thy people and city. My friends, even some of my friends in the evangelical world missed this, this third step. This is, the, this is the step that will help you understand what God is about to do, what he's doing. All right, so for a moment, I'm going to stop sharing my screen here, and I'm going to pull up my other screen, my drawing screen. Give me a moment. And I want to draw something for you. Well, not really draw. You know, like, you understand. Um, let me get it ready. But before I even do that. Okay, I'm going to, yeah, before I do that, let me do this. I want to go back with me to the prayer of Daniel. Go to Daniel 9. So we're looking at the third step. The third step is understand 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and city. So we're going to identify the numerical value of the 70 weeks. We're going to identify who thy people is and who the city is okay so we can identify those three things we will understand step number three okay so let's do that so back to daniel 9 and let's first identify thy people and city daniel 9 let's look at verse number oh let's start at verse 16 just a little bit of context there and daniel 9 and verse 16 the bible says oh lord According to all thy righteousness, I beseech thee, let thine anger and thy fury be turned away from thy city, Jerusalem. So what's the name of the city? Jerusalem. Everybody follow that? So we need to understand 70 weeks are determined upon thy city and upon thy holy, thy city and thy people. What's the city? Jerusalem. Verse 16 says it. O Lord, according to thy righteousness, I beseech thee. Let thine anger and thy fury be turned away from thy city, Jerusalem, thy holy mountain. So what's the holy mountain? Jerusalem. Okay. Why? Because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and thy people. Well, who are the people that live in Jerusalem? Well, this would be the Jewish nation. Am I right? It would be the Hebrew people. So here, Daniel is praying, he's identifying the city is Jerusalem, and the holy people that are trod underfoot are the, the Jewish nation. It's the Jewish people. Stay with me. I read it again. O Lord, according to all thy righteousness, I beseech thee, let thine anger and thy fury be turned away from thy city, Jerusalem, thy holy mountain, because of our sins. And for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, and thy people are become a reproach to all that are about us. So Jerusalem has now become a reproach. It's become a reproach to everybody that's surrounding them. Now, therefore, O, o our God, hear thy prayer, hear the prayer of thy servant and his supplications, and the call and cause thy face to shine upon thy, what's it say? 
thy sanctuary that is desolate for the Lord's sake. Mm. Oh, my God, incline thine ear and hear, open thine eyes and behold our desolations and the city which is called by thy name. For we do not present our supplications before thee for our righteousness, mm. but for thy great mercies. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hearken and do. Defer not for thine own sake, O my God, for thy city and thy people are called by thy what? By thy name. Yo, this is deep. My mind just went somewhere. I, let me... Let me go with you there and bring you back here, though. So the city and the people are called by thy name. Don't don't forsake us. Don't throw us off. Don't leave us down here in this mess. Don't let these these crazy people take over. Don't let the wicked get away with murder. Don't let these people oppress us. We are our, we are your people. We are called by your name, but particularly this applies to the Jewish nation in this context. But the principle applies even now. All right, let's go a little further. I want you to hold your hand here in Daniel. Go with me for a moment to Revelation chapter 14. Just want you to see something very quickly that came to my mind as I was sharing with you. Revelation 14, and I want you to look at verse 1. Notice. And I looked at the Lord Lamb stood on Mount Zion. Well, Zion is another name for Jerusalem. It's the same space. And with him, 144,000, so those were people, having his father's name written where? In their foreheads. Do you see it? You see a triumphant church here in Revelation chapter 14. They're called by his name. So when we read this Old Testament story of Daniel praying for Jerusalem and for the people, because we are called by thy name, we're looking at an application that will be in the end of time as well. But there has to be the same type of mental uh, uh, or spiritual humility, right? So we are not worthy. You are righteous and we are not righteous. We have sinned. We have rebelled. We have turned away. Though we are being oppressed. The oppression, there's a there's a quote from the book called Desire of Ages that I love very much. So, and I'm not going to quote it verbatim, but the principle of it was man as well as angels must see the contrast between the prince of light and prince of darkness. We have to choose who we're going to serve. And right now, we're selective in our service, right? So in one minute, one minute, we hate the evil that is done by by an individual on this side, right? We hate the evil that's done on this side, but on the flip side, but on the flip side, we, we indulge in the evil on this side. We hate the idea that some guy kills another uh, an innocent black man on the ground, but we okay on this side doing our own evil dirt on this side. All sin is worthy of death. We, we're selective in our rage when it comes to sin. Selective in our rage. Selective. Here, Daniel, he never, 
Never does the Bible record any sin done by Daniel, although we know he probably did things wrong from time to time. And Daniel includes himself in this, in this, if you want to call it mea culpa, right? Like we have sinned. Sin is the issue. So we've identified two things. I just want to make sure you guys are following. A, we've identified who the people are. We know that this is the Jewish nation. And we have identified what the city is. We know that it is Jerusalem. We've identified those two, two things. Now we need to understand the 70 weeks, which now I will have to do some drawing for you. So forgive me for my undisciplined penmanship as from a child, okay? So I'm going to share my other screen with you here. And we are going to let's see here. Yeah. Or maybe I didn't. Uh, here we go. Share. I didn't give my, myself permission to share. Give me a second here. Give me. Do, do, do. All right. So let's do this again. All right, here we go. So now we're going to try to break down 70 weeks. Okay. And I'm not, again, I'm not in a rush. I'm going to take my time. And well, let's read before we even get to the 70 weeks. Let's read Daniel 9 and verse 24. Okay. Daniel 9 and verse 24. The Bible says, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. So we've already identified that the 70 weeks are upon thy people. Who are the thy people? That's the Jewish nation. Who is the holy? What is the holy city? The holy city is Jerusalem. Clear. We've identified that. That's clear. We, we understand that. Okay, great. Now we're looking at 70 weeks. So let's break that down. Let's break that down. So here we go. Now, I'm going to try to be as simple as possible. Sometimes I get too complicated. If I do get complicated and you're not following, just, you know, raise your hand or ask the question. I will see it in the in the Zoom meeting. If you're on Facebook, I can't see it. Unfortunately, I'm going to have another screen up at some point so I can see what's happening on Facebook, too. But right now. I can only see the Zoom people. So if you have a question, and I'm saying something, you have a question, please put your question in the question box or in the chat, and I will attempt to answer the question. So here we go. 70 weeks. 70 weeks. Set. Well, I have to get the pin right. 70 weeks. So the first question I'm going to ask is, how many days are in a week? There are seven days in one week. Everybody follow that so far? There are seven days in one week. And if there are seven days in one week, I go 70 times seven. It will give me the amount of days because that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for the amount of days that are in 70 weeks. And I come up with 490 days. Okay, you should be writing this out. I shouldn't be the only one writing. You should be writing this out because the more I write, the, the better it is for my brain. And I know it's good for your brain. Write it out. So 70 weeks are determined upon thy people. How many days in a week? Well, there are seven days in a week. Great. So seven times 70 is 490 
days. Now, we know we're dealing with a prophecy. And we know, based on our previous study, the connections between Daniel 8 and Daniel 9, that the days, the 2300-day prophecy and the 490-day prophecy, have some form of connection. And I'm going to share with you why it's so important. Okay? But 490. 490 days. How many days? Um, what is a day in Bible prophecy? Well, you would go to the book of day equals a year. The book of Ezekiel, chapter 4, and verse 6. Ezekiel 4, verse 6. And somebody says, Brother Andre, is it so important to know all these details? Brothers and sisters, we're about to enter into a crisis that my words cannot even express to you. When we enter into that space of time, when we enter into that crisis moment, everything that we are needs to be anchored on the surety of God's word. And if this is in the scriptures, and I'm telling you, I'm, and I haven't even got to why this is the most important prophecy yet, but this is the most important, most pivotal prophecy in the Bible. The most important. You'll see why in a minute. It is the most, it is the linchpin of all other prophecies. It makes all the other ones that are in the scripture make sense. The Psalms 22 ones and the, the Isaiah 53 ones. I mean, all of those make sense in light of this prophecy and the cause and effects thereof. All right, so Ezekiel 4 6. You also want to look at Numbers 14. Oops. Let's let's try that out again. Numbers 14, verse 34. Okay. So 490 days really is 490 years. That right there. So now, you know, my man's really confused because he's like, wait, it's supposed to be 70 years. And now you're breaking down to 490 days, what goes with the 490 years of what 20 It's just it's causing him some confusion. However, we're just going to keep walking it through. 70 weeks are determined. And I, I don't know if you remember from the connection study that word determined. That word determined. Means cut off. Or designed for particular, like it's 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 part of something larger. So 490 years are cut off from the larger piece, and that 490 years is designed as a probationary time for the city and the people. Okay, so the Jewish nation has 490 years probationary time. Let me see. Probation. Probation. They have 490 years for probation. 490. What were they to do with that time? Now, we don't know yet when this time prophecy starts. And also, we don't, and when I say we don't know yet, meaning in our study, like I know, we know when it starts, but we don't know yet. The 2300 day prophecy. When it says in 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed, 
That has no beginning date and has no ending date in chapter 8. But the 490-day prophecy, when we get to that point, and I will show you, it actually tells you when the time prophecy starts. Therefore, now you can have an ending date. Okay? I'm telling you simple things, but these simple things people overlook, and they dismiss this prophecy, and they misapply the prophecy, and they miss out on a blessing that God has intended for his people to share in. All right? So, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. There is a probationary time. Okay? Does everybody have that? If you understand what I just went over, just type yes in the chat so I know, because I want to move on to step number four. You Do you understand that there's a 490-year probationary time given for God's people, and that probationary time is 490 years? Can you see that? Did you see that? Just type in yes or no or maybe sometimes never. Right? Can you see that? All right. We got a yes. We got a yes. We got a yes. I'm following. Praise the Lord. That's that's what I'm looking for. We got a yes. Praise God. All right. So step number four. Let's walk through step number four. Let me come out of here for a second. Oops. Hmm. Okay, I have to do it from this side. I'm using two different devices. Stop share screen. There we go. I'm going to give sharing ability back to my other computer. Mm -hmm. Give me a second here, my friends. Or maybe, maybe it doesn't want to give me... <laughs> uh. Make host. There we go. All right. I've given my myself the ability to be a host again. All right. So watch this. I am going to go back to my screen here. I want to share this with you. All right. Here we go. So step number four. Let's see. God is in control. Step number four. Actually, before I get there, let me come out of here. I was gonna, I was gonna do something else there, but I need to do something before that. You know, when when you're trying to build uh, an understanding, you don't want to move fast. I know when I'm, sometimes I'm in the kitchen and I'm trying to. This happened. I think I told you guys this already, but I think it was like a week ago. I was baking. I was I was on a roll. I was doing good things, <laughs> and then uh, it didn't work out so well. Uh, I, I I was moving too quickly, and I did not recognize that there was a certain ingredient that I needed. And in doing that, uh, you know, I messed up. All right, so I'm taking my time again here. Watch this. So you're back in Daniel. Go to Daniel chapter 9. I want you to look at verse number 24 again. And I'm going to list what the requirements are during the probationary time. So here's the probationary time. Four. 
490 days slash years. This is probation. During that probationary time, there are several things that must take place. Watch carefully. Verse 24. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression, make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. So there are six things. What were they? And I'm going to write them. You should write them too because it helps remember. So they are finish the transgression. Make an end of sin. Right? Do you guys see that? Make reconciliation, reconciliation for iniquity. Bring in everlasting righteousness. Then what does it say? Seal up the vision and prophecy. Seal up vision and prophecy anoint most holy all right now this is a little sloppy as far as my handwriting is concerned but i have an actual chart so you can see it more clearly but i just wanted to write them out because the more you write sticks in your brain i know we usually type everything so notice that these are there are six things here. Finish the transgression, make an end of sins. Make reconciliation for iniquity, bring in everlasting righteousness. Seal up the vision and prophecy and anoint the most holy. This was supposed to be done by the Jewish nation. This was their probation. They were supposed to accomplish all six of these things. Tell me. Did they do that? Did they do that? No, they didn't. They did not finish the transgressions. They did not they did not make an end of sins. They did not make reconciliation for iniquity. They did not and could not bring in everlasting righteousness. They did not seal up the vision and prophecy and they definitely did not anoint the most holy. In all of these phases, the nation in and of themselves failed. They did not accomplish these things. Brothers and sisters, I'm telling you this is this is so deep. We know that our Lord Jesus Christ, without question, fulfilled every one of these details. Everyone. Everyone. And I don't want to get ahead of myself. He fulfills everyone. Why, why do I say that? It is these, it is these issues here. You see that? These three, these six are only really three things. Let me see if I can, let me do this. I'm going to come out of this for a second. I'm going to show you this because I, I think it's so pertinent. I'm going to stop the share. I'm going to go to my participants. I'm going to make my, oh, boom. Okay. 
Watch this. Let me go to my chart here. I'm going to show you this chart. Um, if I can find it. Okay, here we go. I'm going to go to my chart. I'm going to come out of here. Watch this, brothers and sisters. This is so, to me, one of the most profound things I, I have ever found in all the Bible. Okay, so let me share my screen with you. Here we go. Share my screen. All right. So don't don't really be concerned about the bottom part. That's not the part I want you to pay attention to. I want you to pay attention to the part I'm going to show you above. Okay? Pay attention. So here. Here we go. Okay. So here we have the six things, right? The first two things, finish the transgression, make an end of sins. When I was studying this, when I was looking at the passage, and I was just praying and studying, praying and studying, and I I was impressed that this was a Hebrew parallelism. It was a Hebrew parallelism. And so with that, I, I began to kind of formulate what I thought was the parallel. So the first thing I noticed was that finish the transgression and make an end of sin is essentially saying the same thing, right? It's it's essentially saying the exact same thing. Finish the transgression, make an end of sin. Essentially saying the same thing. So I, I summarize it. I always make life as simple as I can, right? The other thing was make reconciliation for iniquity, bring in everlasting righteousness. Now, if you make reconciliation for iniquity, that means you go back and you, like Zacchaeus, right? He goes back and he pays back and he gives tenfold. Right? That, that's a reconciliation. You go back and you apologize. Those are righteous behaviors, righteous acts. And then it says, bring in everlasting righteousness. So I'm, in my mind, I'm like, what is the correlation? And I was impressed. This is the cor there's, a, there's a correlation. I'll show you in a minute. And then we have seal up the vision and prophecy and anoint the most holy. Now, this one I thought was quite fascinating. What do you mean, seal up the vision and prophecy? And anoint the most holy. And in fact, I'm going to go in depth into the that 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 last couple in another study. But for now, watch this. So the summation, if you will, of finish the transgression and make an end of sin. If I were to summarize it, he's saying, stop sinning. That's that's what he says. Stop sinning. Leave sin alone. Jewish nation. Stop violating the covenant relationship with God. Stop sinning. Then you're like, okay, I, I, that's, I mean, that's a hard task. And then this other one came, came to my mind. Righteousness. Make reconciliation for iniquity. Bring in everlasting righteousness. So now the Jewish nations to stop sinning and they're to bring in righteousness. That makes sense. That makes sense. But then this one, watch carefully. Seal up the vision and prophecy and anoint the most holy. Hmm. Judgment. Now, these six things are really only three things. And the three things that they are have to do with sin, righteousness, and judgment. Watch what I'm going to tell you or show you. And this is only step number four, right? So these three things, these six things, which are really only three in summation, the Jewish nation could not stop in and of themselves. They could not stop sinning. You can't stop sinning by yourself. 
They can't bring in righteousness or everlasting. They don't have the ability to do that. They could have welcomed Jesus. They could have they could have cooperated to know when the Messiah came to walk in lockstep with them, but they didn't do that. So Jesus is fulfilling the idea of the of finishing the transgression and making an end of sins. He's fulfilling the idea of reconciling for iniquity and bringing in this everlasting righteousness. This is Jesus fulfilling these things. And Jesus is the ultimate one that will seal up the vision, fulfill everything that has to do with the plan of salvation. He will in is being anointed as most holy. All these things were fulfilled in Jesus. And when he's anointed as most holy, he now sits in judgment. He now can execute judgment. This is all encompassed in a person. But brothers and sisters, let me tell you something. And I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to jump to this point or not right now, but let me just show you this. You have your Bible. Go to the book of John. John. Watch, brothers and sisters, the book of John. John chapter 16. Pay attention. John chapter 16, and I'm going to begin reading at verse number 7. John chapter 16 and verse number 7. The Bible says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. So Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He's telling them it is expedient. It is of, of great benefit to you that I go away. Why? For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. So when Jesus departs, he's going to send the comforter. He's going to send another of the same kind, just like himself. Okay, pay attention. And when he has come, what is he going to do? He will reprove the world of, what's it say? Sin and righteousness and what? Judgment. Hmm. That's interesting. Verse 9 says, of sin. Why, why would the Holy Spirit need to be sent in regards to sin, watch what it says. Of sin, because they believe not on me. For a moment, my friends, I want you to think about this. The Holy Ghost is often equated with good feelings. But my friends, the Holy Ghost is actually sent. Primary responsibility is to make sure we know that we are sinners in need of a Savior. Hmm? That's his job. He comes to reprove the world, reprove the world of sin because they believe not on me. Of righteousness. Because I go to my father and you see me no more. What do you mean of righteousness? Meaning that the Holy Spirit actually tells you how righteousness is to be applied. Pause. Sin is a confuser of the mental faculties. That's why it's easy for people or I want to I don't want to say easy. That's why people can see an injustice done and then on the flip side of that justify injustice that they do because somebody unjustly treated them. It's like a woman cheats on her 
husband because he cheated on her. So she has the right to go. It's like, no, <laughs> because we lose sight of God. Sin causes this type of confusion in the brain. So he's Jesus says, I go away. So you don't see me anymore. So you can't see how righteousness behaves. I'm going to send the Holy Ghost because the Holy Ghost is going to teach you how to live righteously. So what the Jewish nation could not do naturally in itself in their probationary time, now Jesus fulfills it in himself, dies on the cross, seals that per perfection, raises into the heavenly places, and then sends back the Holy Ghost, and righteousness is now fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after righteousness. The Holy Ghost is sent because we can't see Jesus with our natural eye, but with our spiritual eye, we see him more clearly than if he were here in person. Mercy. Then it says, of judgment, verse 11, because the prince of this world is, what to say, is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into how much truth? All truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. And it talks about him not glorifying himself, he glorifies the son. Okay. What does this have to do with the 70 weeks? Go back. They're supposed to finish the transgression. Make an end of sin. Make reconciliation for iniquity, bring in everlasting righteousness, still a division of prophecy, anoint the most holy in that 70-week probationary time. And they were not able to do this. They did not walk lock and step with Jesus in that time frame that he was here. And Jesus himself is the embodiment of the fulfillment of this reality. Then he dies, goes to heaven. And now that which he has fulfilled in himself, he now is sharing with his people on earth right now. We're going to come back to that in another study, okay? I went ahead a little bit, but I thought it would be important to put out there because we're talking about the anchor prophecy. You see that that this this becomes the linchpin for all the other fulfillments of the latter rain and the outpouring. It's like we have to come in, in, in concert in putting away sin in our life. We got to come in concert with letting righteousness be fulfilled in us. We have to come in concert with making Jesus our King and our Lord, anointing him as most high for the devil does not have a right to rule. Do you like the way he's ruling right now? Do you like the impact of what his oppressive nature is being manifested in the people on this earth? We have to become fed up with this planet, brothers and sisters. Don't just cherry pick what you're upset about. Cherry pick no more. Every sin should be hateful and detestable. Every sin should bring us to our knees and crying out to God for deliverance. Every sin should break our hearts. Every sin, not just a selective sin, not just one that you are touched with, not just racism. Every sin should break your heart. And when every sin begins to break your heart, then you understand that there must be a deliverer that is beyond you going to the government and asking the government to give you something. There must be a deliverer that changes us from the inside out. When you become fed up with sin, when you become fed up with the things of this world, 
when I become fed up with the things of this world and we turn our eyes to our Messiah, that's when deliverance comes. And it comes daily, brothers and sisters. The oppressive yoke of the enemy seeks to wrap its noose around our neck on a regular basis. Daily, the enemy seeks to take us out. Daily, he seeks to crush out our breath. I mean, how many times has it been that you like, you don't want to pray? When we know that prayer is the breath, of the, is the life of the soul. It's the breath, prayer is the breath of the soul. How many times have we not been able to breathe? There's a noose, a spiritual noose around our necks. We are oppressed. But our eyes must look towards the Messiah. We must look to Jesus Christ, the righteous, the one that can and will deliver his people. We don't believe the gospel, brothers and sisters. That's why we're looking for a different way. That's why we're looking for force to change how people think and feel. No, the gospel is the only solution to our life's problems. When the gospel gets a hold of us, then we'll know how to go into a community to truly help the community. Then we will share and give and sacrifice the way heaven would have us do it, not the way our carnal flesh would have us do it. I have a devotional thought that's developing. I'll give you a little <laughs> insight right now. You know, there was a oppressed people. They were the children of Israel. They were in bondage for over 400 years. Sound familiar? And while they were in bondage for that time frame, the cry of God's people went up to heaven. And God began to raise up a deliverer. But that deliverer didn't understand the plan. And because he didn't understand the plan, he knew that he was supposed to do something to deliver the people of God from bondage, but he didn't understand the plan. So what did he do? He saw an Egyptian ruler beating on a Hebrew slave, and he kills the Egyptian ruler. Not understanding the plan, but he thought he was going to cause a, a rebellion and have them rise up. and go. But no, the person that he sought to deliver began to even tell on him. Y'all not paying attention to this. And then he had to flee. He had to flee. And when he fled, then he was re-educated. Hmm? Instead of the military might, the political genius, the manipulative uh, aspects of government that he could have used to free Israel, God had him do none of that. God had Moses go into the wilderness and sit by a mountainside with a bunch of sheep to figure out the plan of salvation. And God had to reeducate that man. We're trying to use the things of this world to deliver people from oppression. <laughs> Using the same language, brothers and sisters, no, I beg of you, no. There is a divine plan, the divine blueprint. And as we walk with Jesus step by step, he will reveal that plan. He will reveal that plan. Man, time is run away i don't even want to start step four if i start step four man yeah we'll be here a, a little bit too long i believe that we've covered quite a bit i want to review the first three points three steps we'll deal with step four step five hopefully step six next time we come together uh which will be on wednesday for the prophecy study tomorrow we're going to be dealing with the education study 
true education, which again, if we understand true education, we'll understand how deliverance is supposed to be had. So right now, let's let's just review the first three steps to understanding the book of Daniel properly. Let's see here. Doesn't want to. Uh oh. Doesn't want to cooperate. Here we go. Um, so if you remember the first three steps, first step is to understand the broader context. Everybody remember that? Understand the broader context. What's the broader context? God is in control. Number Step number two is understand Daniel's concern. In the whole book of Daniel, what is Daniel's main concern? His concern, once he, once he gets all the way down to the issue, he finds the cause of their captivity, the reason why they're captivity, concern is sin. Sin is what has caused God to allow for them to be captive, for allow Jerusalem to be run, overran, for the temple to be cast down and be desolate. Sin is the problem. And then lastly, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people, upon thy holy city. What's the city? Jerusalem. Who are the people? Those are the Hebrew Jewish nation. What's the 70 weeks? 70 weeks is 490 years. So what are they supposed to do in that 490 years? There are six things there to do. Yea, there are really only three. Stop sinning. Do righteousness. And usher in the everlasting kingdom of God. They, were, they, they did not do that. The only person that could do that, fulfilled it, was in the person of Jesus Christ. And in his person, he now embodies those key elements. And now by the gift of the Holy Spirit, in, imparts it to us. My question tonight, as we're ending. Will you allow the process, the work of the Holy Ghost, to come into your experience? Will you allow... Will you allow God, will you allow God to change us from the inside out? I mean, to me, that's the biggest question. Will we allow God to really make us converted, to hate sin, to love righteousness, to usher in the everlasting kingdom of God so that he can deal with the 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 the, the sin problem the oppressive nature of man will we allow him to do that do we really believe the gospel will we allow him to do that to my appeal tonight simple man it's, it's simple i i'm really tired i'm getting tired of this planet i'm getting tired of the the craziness that's going on i want jesus to come but i know for sure 100 that in order for him to come, he must have a cooperative people who understand the plan. So as he moves, we move. As he takes a step, we take a step. As we see hurting people, we don't turn a blind eye because they're our brothers and our sisters. That we become the helping hands that he desires us to be. That we go into our communities with a true solution. Manifested. And our hands and our feet, as the divine gospel of God is seen as we work righteousness in our communities. We will allow God to work in you. If that's your desire, if you don't mind 
you know, type in yes, that's your desire. You want you want you want God to work in you to be a helping hand in our communities to help people see Jesus, to be converted, to turn to righteousness. If that's you, just type just type in yes. If you're listening on Facebook, just type in yes. That's what you want to do. That's what you want to do. You want to be his helping hands. Amen. You want to be his helping hands. I want to be his helping hand. Thank you guys for being willing to be his helping hands. Thank you for joining me on the study. Again, simple studies, man. But the more we study, the more grounded we become, the more faithful we can be in, the, in these final hours of earth's history. Make sure your anchor holds. Your anchor holds. We've just begun to lay the foundation for the pivotal, most pivotal Bible prophecy. Wednesday, again, we're going to be delving into this study. Tomorrow night, we will be dealing with uh, true education. We've been walking through the book Education, which is a powerful book. That book in the Bible, man, it's been nice. And then by God's grace, I'm not sure you'll you'll see an email if I do it. I'm I'm we're going to be talking about relationships on Tuesday night. So please join me for that as well. Let's bow our heads together. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the privilege of being able to study your word. Please take this simple offering of our time and our thoughts and write the righteousness of your laws in our hearts that we may not sin against you and that we may love the way you love. Father, you see our nation is hurting. Our world is hurting. We have the only solution. Please, open our understanding. Give us a divine insight into how to be representatives, representatives of you in these last days. We love you, Father. We ask that you teach us to love you more. We pray these things in the name of Jesus and we claim the merits of his blood. Amen. Amen. Brothers and sisters, have a blessed evening. Look forward to seeing you tomorrow night. If you have any questions, please don't hesitate to hit me up on the direct message or email. I'll be happy to try to answer as best I can. And if I don't know, I'll tell you I don't know, but I'll try to find the answer. God bless you. And Maranatha.